Uh, I want to begin before I start with just introducing myself. My name is Jeff Vandermolen. Uh, for the 20 years, I was a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church in Canada. So if you pick up an accent, it's true, it's there, it hasn't disappeared. But for the last two years, I've been living here in West Michigan, working at Calvin Seminary on the faculty there, um, teaching, directing vocational formation, a bunch of stuff. But I was asked to be here this morning um, because I think Pastor Tony's away. And I want to say, Pastor Tony and I went to seminary together. We graduated together. We did every year of seminary together. And so I can be bribed for stories if you want them. There's no question about that. And there are some. He probably won't want to know that. But uh, this morning, um, we're going to talk about the church. And I realize that's a broad topic. It's a huge topic. But what I want to do is talk very clearly about the big idea of a church and get it right down to um, what does God want from the church? What does it look like for you to be the neighborhood community church God calls you to be? And what happens right here to make that possible? Like what happens right here in you and I? So we're going to begin really broad and by the time we're done, we're going to be right down to looking at you and at myself and what we do and draw a huge line between what Jesus is, hopes and ho- designs the church to be and how I live my life with Jesus. So those two things are going to be related. We're going to try to find our way through. We want to begin, though, simply by looking at a couple of sort of really broad picture things. So here's a question to start with. At the end of the book of Matthew, if you know your Bible, you know that Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's met with his disciples, and now he's about to return to heaven. And before he goes, he gives a, a simple a command that you and I have heard for a long time. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. The last words he says, now, now that's the sort of words that have moved the church for years. Uh, for centuries, the church has been moved by that statement from Jesus. Over against that, Here's the reality that goes on in our day and age. Here's the statistic. A a thousand new churches are started every year in in America because of that statement. Incredible. The problem is that 4,000 churches are closed in America every year in the same time period. And so see the trajectory. Jesus is going to go to heaven. He says, everyone in the world, the whole nation, that's the mission of the church, have them know Jesus and then teach them. And so the church for centuries does, goes, does, becomes what the church is called to be, and yet in the world we live in, the challenges continue to be great. Sorry, this is going to be an ongoing thing for the morning. Now, if we continue on the big picture, uh, at one point Jesus is not talking about the big mission, but he talks about now you for a minute, and he says, John 10 verse 10, I have come in order that you might have life and have it to the full. Incredible, right? That Jesus would come and say to you, I have a plan for you, for the kind of life you'll lead, for the way you'll go about following me, and the words to describe that are life to the full. That's the description. And that life to the full is supposed to take place in the context of this community of faith, that you and I would be so full, so richly blessed, so aware of Christ in our life, that we'd say, boy, my life is full. Again, incredible statement. Look at the statistic that comes next, though. Schaefer Institute of Church Leadership. Every year, 2.7 million church members in America, it should say, 
fall into inactivity with men depart, many departing as hurting and wounded victims of some kind of abuse, disillusionment, disillusionment or just plain neglect. There's a gap, and, and if you're starting to feel a little bit of tension, you should. <laughs> this should make us a little bit uncomfortable. On the one hand, Jesus is going, this life you have, it'll be full in, in a beautiful, God-authored way, and yet, in the practice of church, 2.7 million every year. Say, I'm not coming back. I just can't do it anymore. The story could go on. The numbers reveal that there are 11 churches for every 1,000 people in the United States. That means here, if we wanted to just take our portion at Ivanrest, a minimum of 1,000 people ought to be attending if we wanted to reach that goal of discipling everyone. Think of the people in your neighborhood that are part of that statistic. A thousand people every church. Half the churches in the United States, according to the Schaefer Institute, have not added a single person by evangelism in the last year despite population growth of 24 million. Do you begin to feel the tension a little bit? The tension between, hey, what I like about my church and my goodness, Jesus has called us to more. The tension between, you know, things are pretty good around our church and, oh my, does the kingdom ever look different when Jesus describes it? And so we want to live in that tension. And here's the reality before we look at the passage we're going to look at. I can describe statistics, but internally there are people in this room who are feeling the very tension because it's your son, your granddaughter, your cousin, your uncle, your parents who are the ones that are no longer part of faith, no longer part of the church, no longer part of what God designed to be this place of hope and life to the full. So it's more than just statistics. It's about people that you and I know. It's about neighbors that have never come. And so we're going to live in that tension and try to find our way. And we're going to use words from the book of Ephesians. If you turn there, you're welcome to follow along in your Bibles. I think it'll also be on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. It's page 948 in the Bibles that are in front of you. All right. This is God's word for us this morning. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Go to the next one. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also ascended to the, descended to the lower earthly regions? There's some imagery here we're going to have to come back and recapture. Don't worry. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, lots of imagery there. Uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll dive in together. Jesus, we read about your church. We read about your hopes, your dreams, your design for the church. And um, we pray that this morning you'd help us to find our place in that. Maybe um, receive a clear idea of what we're supposed to do for the church. Maybe, Father, there's something you want to give us as, a, as an individual, as a family, as a community. And so, Holy Spirit, if there's something you want to give and teach us, we would receive it. We pray that anything that would distract us from your purposes this morning would be kept far from us, that we'd be a people and a community uh, tuned to the work of your Holy Spirit in us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to begin by telling you about Mike. About 2005, 2006, I got to know Mike. We were planting a church in Calgary, Alberta, And Mike came in the door. We met in a school gym. And he came in the door after riding up on a very loud Harley. He was dressed in all the typical leather attire you might imagine. And it was a group of people not unlike you and I, looked a lot like you and I. And Mike came striding in uh, after parking his bike right at the front entrance to the school. Mike was a larger-than-life sort of character that over the next couple months we got to know. What we got to know about Mike is that he owned a business... Uh, It was a boat business. And part of Mike's job was to sell boats, but another part of his job, which we came to know and which he was repentant about, was that he was laundering money for organized crime through his boat business. And so people that would gain money through the sale of drugs would need their money cleaned, and so they would bring it through his business, and he was well aware of it and cooperated with it, and it took us a healthy chunk that made him quite wealthy. In addition to laundering money, Mike became sort of an agent of the drug dealing. In addition to all that, Mike got involved in some other organized crime, and Mike's life was at the point that we met him, quite broken, quite falling apart. And so Mike was bald, had the glasses, dressed in leather, would show up every week, and I think came pretty cynical at first. Well, I've never tried this before. I'll give it a shot. And over months, uh, Mike became a little softer, a little less gruff, until one day we talked about this idea of being baptized, and Mike thought, that's a good idea. Now, if, you, if you've grown up in church the way I did, and maybe you have, when I say to you, we're going to do a baptism, images come to mind. But if you've never been baptized, if you've never been in church, you have no idea. So Mike said, well, what do I do? I said, hey, Mike, uh, we're going to get a tub. We're going to dunk you in the tub. Just come with a pair of shorts or a bathing suit. No problem. And so Mike showed up that day, and I said, hey, you might want to get changed before the service. And then, so all the lights went down, and Mike came out. He came out in a robe from his bathroom, um, and he sat down for the most of the service right around the front over to the side here and sang and participated. And then the time came for the baptism, and Mike came forward in his robe, which was a little awkward. What was a little more awkward is when he took it off, um, he was in a Speedo, because for him that was, that was a bathing suit. 
And what I never knew about Mike was that he was a hairy, hairy man. So it looked like a man in a Speedo wearing a wool sweater standing in a hot tub with me. It was awkward in every way you could imagine. So I asked Mike the questions. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you want to follow him? Yes. Do you promise to do all you can? To? Yes, I'm in. So we're, I grabbed this hairy man. We're about to lower him into the water. Before we do, I've got the microphone kind of like this. I'm going to say the words. I baptize him. He says, hold me under a long time. I've got a lot of stuff that needs to be washed away. Oh, beautiful moment. The kind of moment where, you know, the gospel just seems to sing. Broken man knows his brokenness, knows he's offended, not just people but God. Says, wash it all away. Beautiful. The kind of thing you'd want to see run over and over in churches. The kind of thing that makes me think, I guess I'd have some more stuff to wash away. The kind of thing that makes you look at your neighbor and go, maybe God has designs on them too. Maybe I ought to help that happen for them. You could see all the stuff that's good there. I want to contrast that with another story. And when I tell you this story, you're going to think, oh my goodness, don't worry. It's all been reconciled and fine. So when I tell you it, don't get too worried about it. But six months in, after Tony and I went to school together, I, I, I came to a church in London, Ontario, where I met an elder named John. John had been an elder for 40 years in that church. He was a designated elder. They just made him a lifetime sort of deal for him because he was wise, because he had knowledge, because he was respected. And he came to me about three months, four months in and said, hey, I'd like to have coffee with you as soon as we can. I'm a new pastor. I was 26. I thought, great. Elder with 40 years experience wants to spend time with me. It'll be great. We sat down at uh, uh, Tim Hortons in Canada in London, had our coffee ready. I, took the, I remember taking the lid off and he, and he said, let me start. I'm like, okay. And he said, listen, I'm going to make it my mission to make sure that you are removed from ministry as soon as possible because I think you don't belong in ministry. And every time you speak on behalf of God, you sin against him, in my opinion. I'm going to make sure you get taken out. Oh, harsh, broken words, battling divisive words. And both of these happen in the context of the church. I want to move it from statistics and, and data to you and I. Because the story of this church, of Ivanrest, and every church is that there are moments of that incredible Mike-authored beauty where God does something incredible, and there's these moments where words are spoken that hurt, they wound, they break, relationships fracture, and we remember them. In this case, it got reconciled and figured out, but sometimes it doesn't. And so you and I are living in this tension of this idea that we've heard a story of Jesus and his love and his resurrection and his forgiveness, and now we're part of this thing called the church, and it has beauty and it has brokenness and it has mission, it has design, and we're trying to navigate our way through it. So I want to try to build for us this morning a little bit of a case out of Ephesians about what should the church actually look like. And again, sometimes we might feel tension. When, I just, when we read through Paul, you might actually begin to go, oh, oh my, listen to what he's saying. So, so let's take a look at it. If you follow through Ephesians, um, 
I'd like to pick it up, if I could, at the part that says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. Verse 7. Listen to what it says. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Go to the next one for a sec. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So there's a lot there. And that imagery of descending and ascending, we're going to just leave that aside for a second. And I want to simply start with that first statement. Paul says at the beginning, when he's describing what the church is going to be like, he says this, but to each one of us, grace has been given. Susan has been recipient of grace. Bob has received grace. Alice has received grace. Larry has received grace. And the only standing you have, the only way you're here, the only way to begin or continue this relationship with God is because of grace. Now, here's why this is really important. And and I know we use the word, right? Grace. We're forgiven by grace and we use it commonly. Can we remind ourselves of why it's important? especially in the church. One of the reasons why it's important to remind ourselves is because some of us in the church tend to perform for other people. We wouldn't say it that way out loud and we'd never articulate it to other people, but the reality is we might walk in the door and go, now we act differently because we're in church, we're with our Christian friends. Let's make sure we don't show them the the dents or the brokenness. Let's make sure our best behavior's there. And performing for a minute might not be so bad, but when life becomes about performing, we forget that it is by grace, not by performance. Sometimes we might begin to tell ourselves that we could actually perform ourselves into a better standing with other people, and you probably could, but not with God. Right? So Paul begins and says, here's the foundation, grace. And if you tend to perform for people, if you tend to want to put your best foot forward so people always get a good impression, so you can kind of earn... God says grace. Here's the other reason why it's important, not just for performers, but for broken people. Because the reality is some people, like in a room this big, some of us are broken in ways that we don't speak about to anybody and we hope no one notices. But it's about a marriage or a friendship. It's about an addiction. It's about what we click on our computers. It's about the way we shop. There's a brokenness to us. We know it, we cover it, we're used to it. And we need to be reminded that that brokenness is covered by God's grace. It's this equalizer where God says the church begins with grace. Maybe a last one for some of us who want some hope. Because some of us are actually here on Sunday morning looking for a way to take the next steps forward because honestly, hope's hard to come by for some of us. And so we're kind of just here going, could there be some good news that would give me hope? And if you've ever felt that, if you feel it now, this is one of the places where you would find hope, that God's grace, that you didn't earn, design, merit in any way, he says, it's yours. Forever yours. And you belong to him. So we begin here with grace. And I know we use the word. We use it often. 
but it's the foundation place where we're going to talk about the church and everything else we say is built on this place where grace permeates, covers, washes over. We get that? I hope that makes sense. Look at verses 11 through 13. Here's the next piece that comes up. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Incredible statement. And I want to draw your attention to a couple of things. Look at the first part. Well, there's a bunch of highlighted, but we'll just go through. That the body of Christ might be built up. There's this understanding in Paul that we're saved by grace, beautiful, good, and now when we function the way Jesus designed us to function, things change. That the body of Christ grows. And we, sometimes we think of that numerically, sometimes we think of that internally, and both are true here. Until we all reach unity. When Paul starts to talk about the church, he says, you know, there's one of the things that's going to be true when the church is the church is it will be unified. And you kind of go, okay, well, that's true. Okay, so in our church, we, we're unified. We're, we all are. But here's the reality. This is the church as Jesus imagines it. It means that we're unified with the Baptists, the Catholics, the Pentecostals, that we're unified with the Kojic churches, that we have a unity in Jesus with African-American, Hispanic churches that are very different than us in their expression. But Jesus says, you're all the body. That these become hallmark things of the church. Unity. And now look at this in the faith and knowledge of God, and become mature, attaining to the, listen to this, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if you come here, if you're part of this church, a legitimate expectation for you would be that the church could say is, we want you to grow. We expect that you will change and become more mature as a follower of Jesus. We actually expect that if you participate and do ministry here and you're discipled here, you'll become the fullness of Christ. You'll look like him, sound like him, smell like him, do the sorts of things that he does, want the sort of things that he wants. That I cannot be part of the church and remain who I am. You can't either. Impossible. Now, I want to draw your attention to the one little piece at the beginning. So Christ gave apostles, no, um, evangelist pastors to equip people. So when, and I, he didn't ask me to say it. So when Pastor Tony's doing his job, when his team is doing his job, when elders are doing their job, when deacons are doing their job, they're not doing ministry for you. The Bible says the best place they do it, they walk alongside you and go, hey, let me help you do that. Let me disciple you so you can do that better. Let me teach you. Let me assist you. Let me grow alongside you so that you and then we can more fully do and be the things Christ called us to do and be. That prophets, evangelists, and teachers aren't doers of ministry. They are equippers for ministry. They are like the people who teach, equip, come alongside. Well, you begin to see a picture of the church. Now, we're going we're gonna to see all this in a minute. I know it sounds like it's piling up. We've got one more section, though. Verses 14 through 16. Then, when all this happens, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, 
We will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. So again, you see the maturing, the growing, we're being equipped, we're doing the sorts of things that God's called us to do, we're following after him. And sometimes when that happens, we get a rootedness to us. We begin to be a more um, a rooted person, a rooted church. We're not tossed around. All kinds of ideas might be floating around. All kinds of teaching. We, we say, but I've been equipped. I've been following after Jesus. I've been unified in the church and I've heard the body of Christ. I know where I stand here. Friends, this is independent of political things. This isn't like I stand with Democrats, I stand with Republicans. This is, I know where I stand in relation to my Savior and what the Bible teaches and what I'm following after with him. I understand the way Christ calls this world to be and, and that will be where I root myself. We begin to do things like speak the truth in love as opposed to seeing that person I have a fighting with and going, I'm just going to go this way and around them. I go, let me talk with you about it. Can we iron this out together? And then again, look at that, we become in every respect mature. Again, this idea from Paul, that we would grow and become mature. Now, you might be starting to go, okay, that's a lot of stuff. Whew, tall order. So let's put a picture of the whole thing up there for a minute. So this, if you, if you thought about this as a clock, it, top of it is 12 o'clock, right? 12 o'clock, everyone gets grace. Move around there and we said, there's unity, there's maturity, we're getting equipped for service, we're growing, we're not tossed about, we're speaking the truth in love, everyone's engaged. This is the picture, uh, sort of the clock picture, it's not a big diagram, it's just a diagram um, of the church. Now, let's, let's take one step further, put the next one up there for a second. So, but now, what if we use this clock to describe Ivan Rest Church? We think, okay, that's the goal. There's the picture. This is what we want for Ivan Rest Church. This is what we want for our elders, for our deacons. We want for everyone that comes here. We want there to be a welcome. Everyone's involved. An incredible picture. What would be required, do you suspect, for that to happen? I mean, my assumption is some of these are things you could still grow into. Unless you tell me, we got all those in, like we're knocking it out in every category, then let's assume the question would be, what would it look like for that to happen here? Uh, let, not to pick on Tony, but let's imagine, let's imagine Tony got 10 times better at preaching than he already is. I mean, he's killing it as it is. But let's imagine he gets 10 times better. Would all of that stuff happen? Anyone? No? Let's imagine in some incredible act of generosity you guys gave double the budget so that all of a sudden this church is flush I mean you got money you're, you're lighting campfires with it you're just it, it, that's how much money's around here would it mean all of that happens no probably not let's imagine Matt I mean Matt you just hired Matt Matt's a good worship guy let's imagine he, he the, fantastic already Let's imagine it ramps up and you get the best music in Grand Rapids. Like the whole of Grand Rapids goes, that church is killer music. We got to go there. Would all of that happen? Probably not. I know he just hired one of our students. Aunt, or, sorry, I can miss his name now. <sighs> Andrew Zoko. Yep. I added the last name so you knew that I actually knew who I was talking about. Let's imagine Andrew does his part with the youth. 
and the youth group doubles in size. You're like, whoa, does this stuff happen? See, sometimes we pursue certain things in the hopes that this, we actually want all those things to happen and we think we have to do X, Y, or Z to get there. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying, let's ask the question, do the strategies we're using get us to the goal that the Bible's talking about? And we can go further than just Ivan Rest. We could say, if you go to the next slide, we could put all kinds of things in there. What about matters of justice? Would justice be done in this world for the poor, the marginalized, for the racially oppressed? Would justice happen for those people if, um, if, all, if, if all those things happen? Would justice take place? Not necessarily, right? And we could continue through. We could think of all different categories. Um, but I want to feel the tension of the question. Are the strategies we're pursuing going to get us to the vision that God has? Now, I, I, I'm not going to just leave us hanging there. What I'd like to do is actually go back and pick up a piece of the passage that we didn't look at. You notice we picked it up at verse 6, and we've been reading from verse 6 to 18. We skipped the first five verses. Paul's going to do something pretty important because I want us to see this incredible picture. But now come back with me to verses 1 through 5, if you will. We're going to read Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 5. Listen to what it says. Can we go to that slide? As a prisoner for the Lord, then, Paul writes to you, I urge you, not Inglewood, (laughs) Ivan Rest Church, I urge you, Susan and Bob and Sharon, Kelly, Rick, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, that opening part, it would be like this. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge, I plead, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, this is really important. If you remember nothing else about today, remember this. Remember that beautiful picture we drew of the church, all these sorts of things. We said, money's not going to get us there. Tony's preaching's not going to necessarily get us there. Fantastic youth ministry's not going to get us there. Guess what is going to get us there? You living out the calling that Jesus Christ has placed on you. What Paul does here in the passage is he creates an incredible picture of the church, but before he does that, look what he says. First thing, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. He is making a direct line between how you live your faith, how you follow Jesus Christ, and the church's ability to pursue this incredible, beautiful vision. Another way to put that, you pursue Christ that way, you follow Christ, you live a life worthy of the calling, the church begins to look like the thing we described. You and I don't live that way, you and I forsake or just get lazy or just decide, you know what, following Jesus, no. the picture doesn't happen. I'm not trying to make a big, it's all on you thing, but sometimes we imagine how I, what I do with my life with Jesus really doesn't matter. It's just me and Jesus. 
what I do has no bearing on what happens at church. I mean, I can just do my thing, the church will do its thing. Whether I'm engaged with the Holy Spirit, listening to his voice, really doesn't impact what goes on in the church. It's just not true. Paul says, you need to, please, I beg you, I implore you, live the way Christ has called you to live. Receive the fullness of what he's got for you. Let grace wash over you. Let the Holy Spirit invade you. Be yielded to the purposes of God in your life. Live a life worthy of the calling. And when an individual does that and a community does that, that picture we saw emerges. Now, you say, okay, what does that look like? We're going to get about as nuts and bolts tangible as we can, but in order to do that, I'm going to need a couple of volunteers. Um, And we're going to have you actually come up, so if you raise your hand, know that you're going to be standing up here for a couple of minutes, but you're not going to have to do anything crazy, I promise. But I first need an elder, deacon, or ministry leader. Is there an elder, deacon, or ministry leader who would be willing to just come stand right here for about five minutes? Boy. No, not you, Tony. You can't. All right, here it comes. What's your name? Matt. Look at, look at the courage Matt's showing right now. Are you, are you an elder or deacon? Deacon's leading the way. All right. We're not done yet. Um, I need then, um, well, just, there's nothing in particular with this second one. I just need another volunteer. Anyone? Not an elder, deacon, ministry leader. Someone who just is involved in volunteering in some way in the church. Maybe in outreach ministries. Let's go with outreach ministries. Anyone involved in community stuff? Look at there he comes. He's got a name tag and everything. Wow. Thank you very much. Now I need a really tall person. Someone really tall. Point out the tall people around. Anyone really tall? You can point to them and go, this guy right here is really tall, or this woman's really tall. Oh, look at there. There we go. Nice. Okay, um, you mind standing in the middle? No, no, you. And then if you would stand over. And then I need someone vertically less tall. <laughs> I don't want to say short, but someone maybe a little... Dude, come on up. Yes, come on up. All right, we're going to move this. All right. No, can you come stand beside him? All right. Now, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to say, what would it look like in real tangible terms for the church, for you and I? Remember that live a life worthy of the calling? Paul's got all kinds of things in here that describe this. So, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. So I asked a ministry leader, because if we're going to find people around our ministry and in churches that are humble and gentle, it ought to be those who lead, right? Those who are in positions of leadership ought to lead with humility and gentleness. So I look at the deacon and I say, okay, I I don't have an answer for you, Matt. You're going to have to be creative for a minute. But if I said to you, you have to have a posture, show us some physical way Humility and gentleness. What sort of posture do you think? Think of Jesus. Think of humility. Think of gentleness. Think of the things he said and did for a minute. And say, is there a posture that you think would be appropriate to demonstrate? All right. I didn't have to tell him, did I? He goes, no, no, I know what I have to do. I have to kneel before people. Remember Jesus put that thing around his waist, the blanket, the towel, washed the disciples' feet? He was on his knees. Savior of the world on his knees. Humble, gentle. Matt knew exactly what we were talking about. What about when people in the church 
Say, you know what, I'm going to take that posture. My Savior took that posture. I will take that posture with my neighbors. I'll take that posture when people are really got a lot of questions. I'll be humble and gentle. I'll take that posture when politics come up and I know that the word of Christ has to be more. I'll be humble and gentle. It's one of the ways we're going to get there. And everyone in this room will have opportunity this week to be humble and gentle. You will, and living out your faith with humility and gentleness is one way the church becomes what it's supposed to be. All right, look at the next part. It says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. So Jay, I know, I, same question. If we think about a posture, you can involve other people if you, if you want to, but I, you think about the community, think about the neighborhood, think about the church, and think about Jesus. Say, what does it look like? What sort of posture would it mean to be patient with people, to bear with them in love? What, what kind of posture would you maybe think of? There you go. Right? Because everything wants to go like this and go, it's mine, I got cover, but I'm going to be patient. What if in the conflict you're in right now, you just extended an arm? Right? That work person, the spouse you're engaged in a disagreement with, your kids, your parents. I'm, I'm, I'm at least going to put a hand out. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to do my level best to bear with them. It's going to be hard. They're going to say and do things that are different. They're not going to be like me, but I'm going to put out my hand and I'm going to bear with them because it is important for me to be like Christ in this. What does it look like if the church just took that posture all the time? Hand out. We're ready. We're going to be patient. All right. You two guys. Last assignment. You okay there? You still good? All right. Make every effort to keep unity. Now, you're, you're, you're two people that don't match exactly, right? You're different. But what would it look like for the two of you to say, you know what, we will, never, we will not be separated. We are going to remain unified no matter what. What would have to happen, do you think? So what would that look like? Okay. So you're going to stand a little, you're going to move a little closer. All right. You see what had to happen though, right? That it actually move. Can I be unified? What's your name? Can I be unified with Mark if I go, Mark, you're over there, I'm over here. We're, yeah, we're unified, though. Or does unity mean I have to move? If we push them a little further and I said, hey, what if someone were to come and push against you guys? Then what would happen? Like I come and go, no, you guys got to stay unified, but I can, I can push against you. Now what are you going to do? Because you're going to get people push against you. What are you going to do? Come right back, right? So what does it look like if the church says, this church... The body of Christ here, nothing's going to separate us. And friends, what would it look like if in the church of Jesus Christ, this church said to the Latino church down the road that's Pentecostal and different, nothing's going to separate us from them. Or to the African-American church in town that sings differently and preaches differently and lives differently, we're never going to be separated from you because you're part of the body of Christ. What would it look like if the church simply declared it? We're, push on us if you want. But we are unified because of what Christ has done. You mean to see how, this, how now your decision this week to be humble, your decision this week to extend your hand, your decision this week to be relentlessly for each other and for Christ's body, 
These are moment-by-moment moment things that you're going to have opportunity to all the time, every day, every meeting. And so when you and I do, we become more and more like Christ. And the church becomes more and more like what it was designed to be simply by doing these things. Would you join me in a prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the church, for your birthing it out of your love, out of your sacrifice, out of your hopes and dreams. I pray for Ivanrest Church that in the week to come, there would be tangible moments where individually in our neighborhood with our neighbors or maybe right here in this building in a meeting, we would say, I, I gotta be humble and gentle in this moment. That maybe there'd be broken relationships with family, friends, neighbors, maybe even within people in this church where we'd say, I, I have to extend a hand. Bearing with one another, being patient. Maybe there'd be moments where push would come to shove and there'd be tendency to separate. There'd be ideas that we'd want to fight about. But we would be people who would say, no, no, we can disagree. But we will not let anything transgress the unity that Christ has given us. So I pray you bless this church by the power of your Holy Spirit with these sorts of postures, that you would bless them with these sorts of activities, that you would bless them with a maturing and growing sense of your work in them, that they'd become all that you've designed and, and longed for them to be. And there would be this beauty that would emerge on Ivanrest Road here, growing more and more to be the thing, the church, the community, the people you've called them to be. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.